Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman Podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle say 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100. Uh, one of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts just a simple number. Here it is, lot 506 or lot 622. Simple number on it, and you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes Wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had the, the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock. All these, these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. You got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. C-H as in Cameron Hughes. That's his name. He, the guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy and he's doing amazing stuff. chwine.com slash T-H-O-M. Or text the word wine, W-I-N-E. Text the word wine to 511-511 and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three bottle order. So text wine to 511 511 Cameron Hughes Wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you, and oh my goodness, <laughs> I, for some, I can't, I can't bring up a uh, NeoScreener. I'm going to have to do this with the, uh, with the Telus software, we can do it with Skype, you've got Skype audio for Julio. I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> just start out like this, it's just, uh, anyhow, on the, on the line, do we have Skype audio? Okay, on, on the line with us, we have Julio Rivera. He is the editorial director of Reactionary Times, columnist Times, with Newsmax, Newsmax. Uh, Right Wing News, Politichicks. Uh, and uh, here we go. I'm going to see if I, can, I, if I can get you on the phone here, uh, Julio, using my... Uh, here we go. Okay. Julio, you're on the air. Sean, you need to pot him up, please. Uh, hang on just a second, Julio. Okay. Okay, there we go. All right. So let me, let me start the show over again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just want to tell everybody that, the, you know, the Supreme Court has passed down three insane decisions, which we will discuss in about 20 minutes. So stick around for that. 
But uh, first off, I want to start by talking about, you know, the, you know, what the House of Representatives is up to right now. Julio Rivera is with us. He is the editorial director of Reactionary Times, columnist with Newsmax, Right Wing News and Politichicks, uh, ReactionaryTimes.com. His Twitter handle is, oh, yeah, it's Julio. And uh, this is from the Washington Post, uh, Erica Werner. House Republicans released a proposal Tuesday that would balance the budget in nine years by making large cuts to entitlement programs, including Medicare. Uh, this is because the GOP's own policy decisions will at least add $1 trillion to the debt, according to Chairman Steve Womack of the House Budget Committee, Republican from Arkansas. The House Republican budget, titled A Brighter Future, would remake Medicare by giving seniors private plans that compete with traditional Medicare, would squeeze $537 billion out of Medicare over the next 10 years, would transform Medicaid by limiting per capita payments, in other words, by limiting the amount of money it can be spent on any one person, and Social Security comes in for cuts of $4 billion. Julio, you really want to stick it to, to, uh, to wor the working poor and uh, retired people, huh? Well, listen, this is one of uh, there are a couple things that have come out recently. Um, the, the Medicare hospital fund is actually expected to go under and be, become insolvent by 2026. That's a three years ahead of the original projection of 2029. There, there's a study that's out that says um, by 2020, people that are turning 65 years old will have paid $160,000 worth of Medicare taxes. But it's expected that the four hundred and sixty-eight thousand is going to be spent on them. So something has to happen here. Um, I just recently read a fantastic column in the Hill, which I'm also a contributor to, uh, by the way, um, that um, by Tom Colburn that states that what we need is price transparency. And I agree with this because one third of the money that's being spent on medical services under Medicare is basically lost. You know, there, there's no price transparency. There's no competition. Julio, you're um, not answering my question. Publishing your actual, the, the actual price of these medical services. Um, we have no idea what we're signing up for when we go and see the doctor for certain services. And I think that that plays into what the cost is, the wasted cost, rather. Yeah, so it's, it's sort of like I said, uh, hey, Julio, you want to fly from New York to uh, uh, San Francisco with me? And, and you said, uh, gee, this seat uh, needs to recline an extra inch. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like, so you support the Republican plan that Paul Ryan has put on the table that, that is right now before Congress to cut Medicaid, Medicare by $537 billion, to cut Social Security by $4 billion, and to turn Medicaid into a program where if you get seriously sick, it will not pay for you and it'll no longer pay for nursing care. You're down no, with that. You're okay with that. Services. I think, like, forget Paul Ryan and the plan that's on the table right now. What I would do... How can you forget that? That's what the Republicans are proposing. We know it's going to become insolvent. What I would do is I would buy people out that are under the age of 50, give them a certain set amount of money. Well, that's essentially what these guys are talking about. They're, they're offering private plans to, cut, to compete with Medicare and uh, it would, through the traditional Medicare system. And I don't get that. A private plan that you're going to sign up for when you get your first job, because Medicare taxes come out throughout your whole entire lifetime. That's how I Medicare can afford to pay for you know, somebody getting a million-dollar cancer. Listen, there's things that we can do, like price transparency would go a long way towards us not wasting as much money as we actually do. But ultimately, the elephant in the room to me is that, you know, um, Social Security is going to be insolvent. Medicare hemorrhages money. I, privatization ultimately is the answer. I think if you gave people... Privatization always costs more because then you've got to pay giant salaries to the executives. What was that? I said, meta, you know, pri privatization always costs more because you've got to pay all this money to the stockholders. You've got to pay all this money to the senior executives. You've got to pay for marketing. The Obamacare era regulations and all the medical the regulations on the medical industry right now is making things worse. You cannot identify any situation, any significant situation in the history of the United States where privatization actually saved us money. I didn't hear what you said. Pro I said you cannot identify. I defy you to identify any time in the history of the United States where privatization saved us money. We saw it here in Portland when when the, when uh, you know public utility got privatized and bought yeah, out by Enron. What happened? Rates go through the roof. Well, listen, there was a, there were a lot of laws that were broken there. There were a lot of people. That, no, you know, this I'm talking all, all over the country. Every time 
a, a public utility has bought, a, is, you know, is taken private. You know, the parking meters in Chicago taken private. The toll roads in Indiana taken private, owned now by companies in Australia and Spain. What happens? The prices go up. The yes, service no, goes no, down no, because the privatized systems suck money out. It's terrible nowadays is because it's overregulated. Why do you think doctors... This has nothing to do with regulation. Private companies have to private companies have to meet the same standards that go, that government or government has to meet the same standards that private companies do in terms of what they're providing. But the fact of the matter is the government can provide it cheaper. They don't have to pay million dollar a year salaries to CEOs. They don't have to pay dividends to stockholders. This is why a lot of doctors got out of the business. It wasn't worth it. We're not getting our best and brightest going to medical school anymore, and the standards are actually lowering Tom. The next generation of doctors aren't going to be smart as smart as. So the this is this is your arc. This is, I, I don't see what you know. If, if, first of all, I think that's BS. I've got you know uh, two of my kids are in the medical field, and and you know I, I, I that's well, absolute sorry, nonsense. And they've both gone through medical okay, school. The one of them's in medical school right now, in fact. Student loans for a job that's not going to be quite as lucrative because the government is in the way. So, you know, it, it, with conservatives, it always comes down to the money, doesn't it? million dollars into debt going to medical school. Think about it. Yeah, no, I, I have. And I, I would love to see medical school, like it is in pretty much every country in Europe, be absolutely free. Wouldn't you? Well, I'm sure, I'm sure you'd love it. Don't you, don't you want people to go into medical school not because they're hoping to make a million dollars a year as a doctor so they can pay off their damn student loans, but rather because they are passionately committed to healing you? Uh, we all want a passionate commitment to healing, but we want the best and brightest. We don't want people, we don't want lower And you get the best and brightest by having higher prices for medical school? I don't understand this, Julio. It's no longer profitable. It's a service-based industry at the end of the day. It's not a government. How do you get, how do you, no, hang on a second, Julio. How is it that charging, charging, you know, a half million dollars for medical school causes smarter people to go to medical school? How is that? If it's not as profitable, people aren't going to go in. And now because we have a shortage of doctors, people going into medical school, the standards have been lowered. The next, I'm telling you, the I'm next still generation not. of doctors are not going to be as intelligent as the current generation of doctors. You might get lucky and get a good doctor, and, and, but okay. it's not going to be across the board. I, I got it, Julio. The level of medical care is going down. All righty, I got it. Thank you. Julio Rivera. Uh, Julio, thanks for being with us today. Julio, you can... Uh, uh, his website, reactionarytimes.com. You can tweet him at, oh yeah, it's Julio. We'll be right back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And when we come back, I'll tell you all about the Supreme Court. Stick around. Okay, the, uh, I, as promised, the Supreme Court has uh, issued three very consequential five to four rulings today, none of which presumably would have been decided this way had President Obama been allowed to fulfill his constitutionally mandated requirement that when the Supreme Court has an opening, he appoints and sends to the Senate a, a nomination, a nominee to replace the, the uh, uh, outgoing justice. And in this case, that was uh, 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 Scalia, you know, when he died like a year and a half ago, I mean, two and a half years ago. And Mitch McConnell said, no, Mr. President, no, President Obama, you know, you're the black guy in the White House. We're not going to let you do anything. We're not even going to let you appoint somebody to the White House. And they didn't. And so Trump comes in, and the first thing he does is he puts in Ann Gorsuch's son, Ann Gorsuch, the one who so destroyed the EPA, so wreaked absolute screaming havoc on our nation's environmental laws that she was forced to resign in, in uh, shame, in, in embarrassment, in, in disgust. I mean, it was just it was horrifying what she did when she worked in Ronald Reagan's administration. And now her son is even more right-wing than she is. And he's on the Supreme Court. We have three, five to four votes. The first one, of course, Trump's travel ban. What well, started out as his Muslim ban. Uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, this is from uh, the New York Times by Adam Liptick and Michael Shear. Justice Sonia Sotomayor delivered a searing dissent from the bench this morning in which she accused the court's majority of upholding an openly discriminatory policy motivated by animus to a religious minority. 
She compared the court's decision to the Karamatsu ruling. That's the one that uh, allowed, where the Supreme Court allowed FDR to put Japanese in internment camps. This decision, by the way, kind of anecdotally overturns Karamatsu. But really? I mean, Trump said, we need, I'm calling for a total and complete ban on Muslims entering the United States and tweeted, we need a travel ban for certain dangerous countries. Justice Sotomayor said, let the gravity of these statements sink in. Most of these words were spoken or written by the current president of the United States. In fact, the the paper says that uh, as she delivered this, speaking at length from the bench as her colleagues in the majority sat stone-faced, Justice Sotomayor compared the decision. So you've got that. Then you've got the justices backing these so-called crisis pregnancy centers. Women who are looking for abortions look in the yellow pages or, or look online, and what do they find? They find crisis pregnancy centers, and they think, oh, I can go there and get abortion information. And they go there, and it looks like a place where you can get abortion information or birth control information. But what these really are are fundamentalist, right-wing, church-run religious centers that, that try to talk women out of having abortions or using birth control. And California passed a law that says that any center, that ad, any, any organization that advertises to the public about pregnancy or crisis pregnancies must post in a prominent place information that uh, here, here's the, the state requires the centers to post notices that free or low-cost abortion, contraception, and prenatal care are available to low-income women through public programs and to provide the phone number for more information. The California legislature found that the roughly 200 centers in the state used, quote, intentionally deceptive advertising and counseling practices that often confuse, misinform, and even intimidate women, excuse me, from making fully informed, time-sensitive decisions about critical health care. This was upheld by unanimous three-judge Court of Appeals in the Ninth Circuit. They said that Judge Nelson wrote, the notice only informs the reader of the existence of publicly funded family planning services. It does not contain any any more speech than necessary, nor does it encourage, suggest, or imply that women should use these state-funded services. So the state requires these crisis pregnancy counseling centers to inform women that one of your options is this abortion center, another option is this prenatal care. The Supreme Court struck that down today. They can continue to lie to women. And number three, this was this one actually came down yesterday. The headline from the New York Times by Tim Wu, professor who specializes in uh, antitrust law, the Supreme Court devastates antitrust law. Another, these were all five to four decisions. Neil Gorsuch was the deciding vote in all three of these. And in every single, and in this one, this they, this they ruled in American Express's favor that it can issue gag orders that if I'm a retail store and I, I take, you know, I have American Express and MasterCard and American Express is costing me three and a half percent, MasterCard is costing me two and a half percent, I have the legal right, you would think, to inform my customers that American Express costs me more, so I'd prefer it if you use MasterCard. American Express says to retailers, if you do this, we're going to take away your right to take American Express. In other words, we're going to gag you. And the Supreme Court upheld American Express's right to do that. To basically monopolize, you know, to, to attempt to monopolize. I mean, this is, this is the, these are the monopoly laws, right? This is insane. This is absolutely insane, and this is all because Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the United States Senate blocked President Obama from having his nominee on the U.S. Supreme Court. This is obscene. It's 27 minutes past the hour. Hey, do you brush with an electric toothbrush, or have you wanted to? If you're using one of the one of the older, bigger, bulkier, you know, and some of them you know, are so aggressive they can even damage your mouth, uh, tooth, electric toothbrushes, uh, or if you've never th- used an electric toothbrush, I want you to pay attention. There's a new electric toothbrush. Time Magazine called it the invention of the year, right? Uh, it's called Quip, Q-U-I-P. It's slim. It's lightweight. It's about the size of a regular toothbrush. It's got a, you know, a little AAA battery inside that powers it and powers it for months at a time uh, be- between changes. 
and it, it does a really great job. It aggressively cleans your teeth, but it does so in a way that's good for your gums and good for your teeth. It's a, the perfect two-minute clean. So check this thing out, and it's great for traveling. It comes with a little tube that you can drop it in to travel because, like I said, it's about the size of a regular toothbrush, much, much smaller than your, than your big electric toothbrushes. And you can find out all about it at getquip.com slash Tom. That's G-E-T, getquip, Q-U-I-P, dot com slash T-H-O-M. Getquip.com slash Tom for more information. It's only 25 bucks, and they send you the refills, the, the brush heads that you're supposed to replace every three months. Every three months, they'll send those to you for only $5 free shipping. It's an amazing deal. Getquip.com slash Tom. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Boy, what a day. All just the, the in, insane stuff that is going on here. Uh, Rod, in Demos, Pennsylvania. Do I have that right, Rob? Rod? No, it's Rob in Guy's Mills, Pennsylvania. Oh, Guy's I'm Mills. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Rob, what's up? Uh, I was calling about the alien from the other planet that uh, was feeding you all the garbage about the uh, Social Security and Medicare. Um, and Medicaid. I checked. Yeah, okay. Social Security, um, before Trump, is good till 2039 without any problem. Um if they're interested in cleaning up uh, Medicare and Medicaid, maybe they should clamp down on these hospitals billing fraud. I've been charged for MRIs on a standard x-ray twice, and I turned them in. And uh, if you want a perfect example for the public to, to realize how things get screwed up with privatization, take a good look at our post office right now because they're trying to destroy it. And your uh, three-day priority mail is now yeah. taking up to five days. Well, I, th I think well, it hasn't been privatized yet. But but I think Rob, that the if you want to look at privatization, um, uh, when I grew up in Michigan, there was a law in the state of Michigan that said all hospitals had to be nonprofit corporations, and all insurance mm -hmm. companies had to be nonprofit corporations. And so in the '70s, when I started one of my first businesses, I provided all my employees with free health care. You know, employer paid health insurance. My recollection is it cost me $35 per person per month. And it was Blue Cross Blue Shield, which was a nonprofit at that time. And in Lansing, you had uh, St. Lawrence Hospital, which was run by the Catholics. You had uh, Ingham County uh, Hospital, which was run by Ingham County, which is the county in which uh, Lansing is. And you had Sparrow Hospital, which was run by a nonprofit corporation that was, I believe, uh, religiously inclined. Um, but, you know, it wasn't St. Lawrence, which was a Catholic hospital. And, and they were all nonprofits and healthcare was cheap and you know now <coughs> excuse me now that we've privatized all those things healthcare is really expensive so rob you 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 made a you made a great point thanks for the call paul in woodenville washington hey paul what's up well i'll follow up on the previous caller but uh, what your guest was referring to is this uh, lack of transparency in medical billing is the exact opposite of what he said it is the multitude of uh, of insurance plans private insurance plans a number of insurance plans that cause the causes a lack of transparency. And what, what they're doing here, Tom, you have to understand this, is because people are becoming aware that uh, you, in every different place a, a charge for a given procedure is, is different. People are becoming aware. They're now blaming. Now the target is, is Medicare. But uh, if you're aware of uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, there's a, a show run by one by Cheryl Atkinson at the Sinclair Must Run show called Full Measure. They were identifying this lack of transparency as a is what was caused by Obamacare. Here's what the deal is. You have so many uh, different insurance companies coming to a provider. The provider charges each one a different rate depending on how many patients they bring to the provider. A big insurance plan, they get a better rate. Smaller insurance plan with not so many patients, they get a different rate. And those people pay a higher premiums. And, they're, and, they're, and, and these are all the individually provider. negotiated. It's exactly right. It's individually. Medicare is the base rate. We have six different rates that are charged, and that's why there's a lack of transparency. Everything from the Medicare rate, you got the private insurance rate, you got the blues rate, you got the Medicaid rate, you got the um, the chips rate, and you have uh, I can't remember the actual official name, but it's like, it's like the list price, mm -hmm. which you'd pay if if you came in there to pay cash, which nobody pays, but that would be. So they couldn't, if you call up any given provider and ask them what's the, what's the price for this procedure, they couldn't really tell you because there isn't a real price. 
Right. They would they would tell you, well, who who is who's paying? Who's doing the paying? And it has nothing to do with Medicare. As a matter of fact, Medicare sets the base rate. It's all the different parts. And therefore, and therefore, Medicare could solve this problem if all we had, or if the Lord, you know, if, if everybody was able to buy into Medicare, and I mean, this is the public option that the Joe, uh, oh Joe, uh, former vice president. Yeah. Well, because yeah. we have one big Killed. pool. And they keep talking about creating large pools. Well, what would be a larger nominee. pool than everybody? There's no, there's no larger pool than everybody. Right. And he, he talks about, uh, there, there are these, uh, your guest was saying that, well, there are these costs that are uh, undisclosed, or, or Medicare. Medicare has a 3% MLR. It's called a medical loss rate. In other words, that's your overhead. And the private insurers were screaming to I have and when the Affordable Care Act required that they have a 20% MLR, or right. overhead rate. I mean, seven times more isn't enough. You, you can't buy enough uh, homes in the French Riviera when you're only making, you know, when you're held to a 20% overhead. I mean, it's just, yeah. that's the problem. And so this has in, nothing to do with Medicare. And I think, as uh, maybe the previous call was indicating, with regard to Social Security, and I've heard you say this uh, maybe fairly recently, the Social Security Trust Fund is actually still increasing and will top at a $3 trillion surplus in 2022 which will be drawn down. And, the, and, and the it's supposed to be drawn down. It will be drawn down to back... back it's, the, it's the surplus that the baby booters created for themselves. When Ronald Reagan passed in 1983, Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill agreed to raise the, um, the payroll tax so the baby boomers would pay into Social Security. It's intended to be drawn down by 2034. And then we go back to the pay-as-you-go rate. That's how, that's how Social Security started. Right. didn't have any money in it when we started. Right, but the Republicans are lying about this. They say, oh, my God, the Social Security Trust Fund is going to be uh, exhausted. Well, it's supposed to be. This is the baby boomers were double-taxed by Reagan in order to pay for their own retirement, and that's what's happening. Paul, and if they don't like it, why don't they scrap the cap and then we can create it? Actually, the, the, um, the trust fund, the, the, the surplus, was, it will be $3 trillion. It was supposed to be about 5 or $6 trillion. But wages have stagnated since, uh, since Ronald Reagan. Right. And the, the, the short answer is this. Franklin Roosevelt created the middle class with New Deal policies such as the, uh, the minimum wage, the National Labor Relations Board, increase uh, more union power. Ronald Reagan destroyed the middle class with trickle-down Reaganomics. And this is why the Social Security Trust Fund hasn't grown as much as it should. But it's got $3 trillion. It was supposed to have 5 or $6 trillion in it. And then it would be drawn down and there would still be plenty left over into the 2040s. Right. But uh, wages have gone down, and uh, the banksters and the corporations have sucked up all the economic growth, and that's why you are where you are. Right, and this is also why, uh, at the very least, if we're going to allow corporations, and this is a change in law that happened during the Reagan administration, if we're going to allow corporations to compensate their senior executives with stock, that th when they convert that stock into money putting in into their checkings account uh, as capital gains at a very, very low tax rate, they should pay Medicare and Social Security tax on it. And, you know, if, if they did, well, if, and, and for that matter, if, if the Koch brothers paid the same tax rate that everybody else does, uh, you know, on their Social Security, uh, there would be no problem with Social Security. And, and frankly, we could, you know, slightly increase the Medicare price. In fact, if everybody went on Medicare, it wouldn't cost that much more. Paul, uh, very, very well said. Thank you very much for the call. I appreciate it. Dawn in Atlanta. Hey, Dawn, what's up? Hi, Tom. Hi, Dawn. Um, I just start, but I know I only have a couple of minutes, so um, I'd like to focus a little bit on the Supreme Court's decision to allow uh, crisis centers to exist and not make them to discuss uh, the availability of abortion when uh, the state actually provides it, like in California, and I, I'm just really distressed over this. But I wanted to make sure that people should... I've made a decision not to ever say the pro-life group. I call them the pro-birth, let them die group. And I say it to everybody I have a discussion with. And I get a lot of strange looks. Yeah. But that's exactly how I feel about it. I call it. them the forced pregnancy group. <laughs> well, forced pregnancy. But, but, you know, let them die really hits people. And I, I've had friends say, well, you know what? You might be kind of right about this. But as we look at the, the fact that they've taken... You know, they're trying to take everything away from a woman in making her own decisions about her reproductive rights and, you know, how she's going to move forward. But they're not, it's not just that. They, they're cutting every safety net available. Um, you know, they've cut child health care. They've cut food, or they, they're proposing to cut food stamps. They're proposing to cut housing. 
for the needy. They're they're destroying the educational system. There is nothing that they stand for that stands for life. And until we as progressives take a stand against them and make them take away their mantra pro-life, I think we're we're all headed down the wrong street. You yeah. know, we'll allow them to have an upper hand. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Dawn, and uh, and very well said. Um, thank you very much for the call. Cindy in Buffalo, New York. Hey, Cindy, what's up? Well, I just remembered a little phrase that very seldom is talked about. It's the right of the people to abolish or to change such forms of government when it becomes abusive or destructive to the need of the people. That's and, from the Declaration of Independence. Right. And I wholeheartedly believe in that. I think these Republicans are out to destroy uh, the middle class all to themselves. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, they, they want to create a slave class for their own elitism. Yep. And I think that this is what, what it's all about. They're out to grab everything that there is. And Social Security being dear and precious to the middle class, I think that's what their, their ultimate goal is, to take Social Security away from the people and to make them completely subservient to the rich. I think, I think uh, you've said it very, very well, Cindy. Thank you. Uh, Morris in Long Beach, California. Hey, Morris, what's on your mind? Hey, Jeff Sessions. Jeff Confederate Sessions is out here in California, and he's creating havoc. And one of the things that he's doing is property values is going down. Uh, that's one way to get property values to go down, invite Jeff Sessions. Uh, but anyway, Professor, I also <laughs> want to mention this to you. You know that uh, we uh, this book that uh, Papantino was talking about, uh, Dreamland, everybody, read the book. Dreamland. You got to read it when you want to talk about arbitrary and subjective uh, ideas. You know, them Republicans had no problems allowing people down there in Portsmouth, Ohio, and, and Lexington, Kentucky to use their Medicaid cards to go and pay for oxycodone. And it, it, uh, oxycodone has decimated every major upscale uh, white city in this country. Kids are dying in public bathrooms. They're dying on campuses. Athletes are losing. It was unbelievable. Your boy, uh, what's the governor's name of Ohio, uh, John? Kasich. Um, Kasich, yeah. Man, John Kasich, pretty good. I got another guy you're not going to believe, uh, uh, Christie. You think he's a snot, which he is. But these guys all got together, and to address this opiate epidemic, unbelievable how the Republicans got together to address this opiate epidemic that nobody's heard about, right? So these guys, they can do stuff when they want to, right? But, but please Especially when it's hurting white people. To... I'm sorry, Professor? Especially when it's hurting white people. Oh, my Lord, because this is all about the white people. First, it started with the oxycodone, and then when you got out the prescriptions, then you went to the black tar heroin, which came from a place called the Nayaret Jalisco, or is it Jalisco Nayaret? But anyway, read mm -hmm. the book. And check this out, Professor. You ever heard of a robbery? Well, they came to rob you, but they didn't want your cash. Yeah. All they wanted were those pills. You've got to read this book. Please okay, Dreamland. Dream Morris, thank you. Thank you for the recommendation. I appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Boy, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of us are really cranked here today. Uh, the, this, this outrage at the Supreme Court, at the same time that Paul Ryan is proposing to cut Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security, which is not even being covered by the media. It's insane. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Also, I've got an article up on uh, Alternate.org and over at uh, Salon.com suggesting that if Tom Steyer really wants to impeach Trump, he should buy Clear Channel. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. The uh, article here, this is uh, uh, reprint over Common Dreams, but scientists are expressing alarm over utterly terrifying new findings from NASA. Their phrase, the scientist's phrase, utterly terrifying. And the European Space Agency that Antarctica has lost about 3 trillion tons of ice since 1992. And in the past five years, as the atmospheric and ocean temperatures have continued to climb amid ongoing reliance on fossil fuels, ice losses have tripled. Alan Shepard at the University of Leeds, uh, you know, tweeting, just freaking out. These events of sea level rise, they've triggered are an indicator of climate change and should be a concern for the government, the governments we trust to protect us. Uh, this is published in Nature. NASA's Eric Ivins says 
This is the most robust study of the ice mass balance of Antarctica to date. We could not, up until 2012, he said, we could not detect any acceleration. But after that, based on survey by satellites, we saw a threefold increase in the rate of ice melt. What the heck is going on here? Let's check in with Dr. Michael Mann. He is a professor of meteorology and the director of the Earth Systems Science Center at Penn State University. Author of several books, including The Madhouse Effect, How Climate Change Denial is Threatening Our Planet, Destroying Our Politics and Driving Us Crazy. His website, Michael Mann, with two ends at the end.net. And you can tweet him at Michael E. Mann. Uh, Dr. Mann, welcome back to the program. Uh, thanks, Tom. Always good to be with you. A uh, uh, very quick note. Um, the paperback edition of The Madhouse Effect just went live today. Um, hey, it's, hey. it's for sale now. That's great. And we had to update the book because it was originally written before the last presidential election. So you might imagine we had some updating to, to do. And we added a whole chapter uh, that um, is entitled Return to the Madhouse, Climate Denial in the Age of Trump. Amazing. Amazing. So uh, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on what I read to, to open this, this segment, that uh, it, it this guy, uh, uh, let's see, who was this? Mr. Shepard. Explain Shepard. I'd have to dig back into the, oh, he, uh, University of Leeds professor Andrew Shepard. He said, up until 2012, we could not de de detect any acceleration in the ice melt in Antarctica. But after 2012, we saw a threefold increase at the rate of ice melt. Are we hitting a tipping point? Or have we? Well, there are many different possible tipping points, and some of them we've certainly already hit. Um, this is actually a theme that we explore in the book because it's an example of how uncertainty is not our friend. If anything, the changes in climate that are taking place today are unfolding faster than we predicted. The magnitude of the changes is greater than we predicted. So, yes, there's uncertainty. There's always scientific uncertainty but it has worked against us. As we have uh, reduced the uncertainties, we've learned that things are happening even faster. And there's no greater example of that than what is happening with the ice today, with the West Antarctic ice sheet. There's a confluence of evidence that's now coming together. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a study that demonstrated that when you put some of the physics that was missing in the climate models into the climate models, the West Antarctic ice sheet can disappear far more quickly than the models used to say it could. Uh, and so those scientists were saying we could see a lot more loss of West Antarctic ice over the next several decades. We could see twice as much loss of ice and twice as much sea level rise by the end of the century. And in the time since that study was published a couple of years ago, there are all these other studies that were just published in Nature that now point to the fact that the observations are telling us that we are seeing that acceleration. We are seeing that uh, greater loss of uh, ice that the theoretical models predicted we would see. So the evidence from the models and the observations are coming together uh, in, um, in a way that is quite uh, concerning, uh, in a way that suggests that indeed we have to double those sea level rise estimates. So if you would ask me, and I think you did, I think we've, we probably talked about uh, sea level rise maybe three or four years ago, and I would have told you that the maximum sea level rise we could see by the end of the century globally was about three feet. Now, that was the consensus at that time. Just in a few years, the consensus has now doubled. We have to tell you now that we could see six to eight feet of sea level rise by the end of the century, and we've already seen what just one foot can do. Yeah. Uh, we and saw that in Superstorm Sandy, for example. I have a, a newborn grandson who is probably going to be alive at the end of the century. And uh, at that point in time, New York is gone. Florida is gone. Is that what you're saying? Well, we cannot rule out a scenario now by the end of the century if we don't act. So the future is in our hands to some extent. We can act. Uh, we can you know, uh, meet our obligations under the Paris Accord. We can ratchet up those commitments in the next major uh, climate conference in a couple years, and we can see a path towards stabilizing warming below a, a, a truly disastrous level of about three and a half Fahrenheit, two degrees Celsius warming of the planet. On the other hand, if we don't take action, if we continue to follow business as usual with our burning of fossil fuels, by the end of the century, we could see six to eight feet of sea level rise. That means the loss of the lower third of Florida. That means 
Miami Beach is gone, uh, New York City. Um, you're talking about uh, a retreat away from the coastlines, a retreat from some of the world's largest cities, a relocation of tens of millions of people. Um, and that, of course, is a recipe for unrest and uh, all sorts of uh, national security ramifications. We're already seeing uh, environmental refugees. I was just in Italy uh, last week um, where uh, they're turning away uh, refugees from Africa. We're already seeing people flee these lands uh, that are no longer livable. Um, if we get six to eight feet of sea level rise and we displace you know, potentially 100 million people on the face of the planet, uh, that's a recipe for a disaster. Yeah. Well, and, and how do we... Uh, how do we add to this equation the damage that's being done to species around the world? The, the, uh, the, the you know, uh, Elizabeth Colbert's uh, the sixth extinction. That's right. Um, you know, there have been uh, geological extinctions event, uh, is geological extinction events in the past. There have been five of them um, over the course of Earth's history. Well, there's a sixth that's taking place right now. And the difference is this one we are causing. This one was avoidable. Um, and we are talking about a trajectory that, again, if we don't act on this problem, uh, we lose, you know, maybe 25 percent or more of the world's species. Um, that would have a de devastating impact on ecosystems, on us, because after all, we are in a sense at the top of the food chain. And if the, the you know, ecosystems collapse beneath us, then that calls into question, you know, the extent to which uh, human civilization can uh, exist in anything like its current form. Yeah. The loss of civilization seems like a pretty serious issue. In the, in the minute or so we have left, uh, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts uh, on what we should be attending to right now. What should we be paying attention to with regard to climate change? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what we have to do. As I said, we have to ratchet up those commitments. Um, and we've got a president who wants to back out of our commitments. He wants to leave Paris, which would make us an international pariah, the only country in the world. Um, if we want to change course, if we want a federal government, an executive branch and a Congress that is going to join the rest of the world in solving this problem, rather than acting on behalf of their fossil fuel industry funders and sacrificing the planet um, as a result, uh, we need to make our voices heard. Uh, you are doing that with your shows. Um, there are so many ways that we can do that. But, of course, we can do that at the voting booth. We have to elect politicians who will reflect our interests rather than the special interests who too often fund their campaigns. So very well said, Dr. Michael Mann. MichaelMann.net. Uh, you can tweet him at uh, Michael E. Mann. Dr. Mann, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Tom. Always a pleasure. Great talking with you. And the new, uh, new, newly out in paperback, The Madhouse Effect, How Climate Change Denial is Threatening Our Planet, Destroying Our Politics, and Driving Us Crazy by Dr. Michael Mann. We'll be back. You know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high tech. In fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable. It is high tech. And yes, I'll say it. It is sexy. This chair is extraordinary and it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's going to help your posture. And, you know, if you're not in pain and, you're, and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is going to work well. The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And its patented split-back lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com now to check out the X3's perfect blend of design and ergonomics. A lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. This chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com. Right now, use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. XChairTom.com. Now back to the podcast. 
Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you on the line with us is Jamal Abdi, the vice president for policy at the National Iranian American Council, NIAC, the executive director of NIAC Action. The website is NIAC, N-I-A-C.org. And uh, you can tweet Jamal at J-A-B-D-I, J-A-B-D-I. Jamal, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back, Tom. It's great having you with us. So uh, Trump apparently got his Muslim ban through the Supreme Court. I'm reading on some of the legal blogs that it was actually fairly narrowly decided. Um, but, you know, what, what's your take on this? You, you understand this stuff and, and, and live in this world much more than I do. This was not, um, it wasn't altogether shocking. Uh, it was narrow, It was a 5-4 decision. We figured one way or the other it was going to be a 5-4 decision. Um, the court essentially decided, look, the, the president on the campaign trail may have said, uh, you know, has, has said he wanted to bar all uh, Muslims from coming to the country and that he was going to put this policy into place, but that the policy that is in place after three attempts to do it actually is not motivated by re religious animus. That the policy itself is actually okay. It's within the president's And that's because uh, he threw in to, two, two non-majority Muslim countries? This is to Muslim-majority countries. And, uh, you know, for the third ban, he threw in a couple of non-Muslim-majority right. countries. I'm sorry, forgive uh, is, did my interruption of you uh, blow up something? Oh, no, sorry. I, I wasn't sure if there was a connection issue. Yeah, no, we're, um, we're here. Well, anyway, so I, I really think the takeaway here is, you know, there was this question of, do you take away the president's authority to, um, to, to police who can get visas to the country and who can't? Can you prove that this is based on religious animus? I think because he issued these three different versions of it and sort of did some window dressing, at least this version of the Supreme Court thinks that this is within his right. Um, now, the real issue, though, is this is a political decision. I mean, I still think this is a decision. This policy, the Muslim ban, is motivated by a political promise that the president made on the campaign trail that is completely based on religious animus. Right. And then he had his policy people construct something that uh, could actually carry it out in policy. The political decision, ultimately, it's going to be a political solution. It's going to be, you know, having a Congress that actually will act as a real check. Maybe this is within his right um, under the under the laws and the Constitution. Congress can change those laws. Um, and so that's really the next step for this is going to be the midterms. And, you know, does Congress have a mandate to actually repeal this or, you know, do something to limit uh, what this ban is? And and where do you see this? I mean, I, I'm not expecting a Republican-controlled Congress to do anything about this. Are you? No, absolutely. We already know that they they will not. Even when the first ban went into place, this was, you know, Trump's first full week in office, um, and the first ban went into place. You had green card holders uh, being denied and sent back or detained. Uh, chaos at the airports you know, really the, the height of the political unpopularity of this policy and sort of the most ugly and visible implications of the policy with the airport protests and things like that. Even then, you had Republicans actually saying, well, this was not carried out in the right way, um, so it needs to be revisited. But the there was legislation that was introduced that was sponsored by every Democrat in both chambers of Congress, and not a single Republican would sign on to that legislation. Similar bills to repeal the ban have been introduced with each successive version of the ban, and Republicans still, um, even fewer will say, okay, there's a problem with this policy, but none have actually signed on to this legislation. So, you know, we're looking at a president who is at the sort of the peak of his power, given that he has both chambers of Congress, he apparently has the Supreme Court. Um, so it is going to require having a Congress that does have a Democratic majority that feels it has a mandate to actually take action on this, and they could actually pass something to repeal this, this right. policy. Right. So ultimately, this is a political issue. It's a political decision. Um, frankly, in all probability, I would think if Merrick Garland was on the Supreme Court as the Constitution required, uh, rather than uh, this poster, uh, uh, Neil Gorsuch, that this would have been a five to four decision the other way, don't you think? Absolutely. And... As soon as the decision came out this morning, 
um, Mitch McConnell's reelection campaign tweeted out a picture of McConnell shaking hands with Gorsuch and no, no caption or anything, but the right. message was clear. Yeah. We, he, we stole the Supreme court seat and now we got this ban in place as a result of it. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, you know, the, the Supreme court also ruled that, that, uh, you know, monopoly is just fine. Thank you very much. In an American express case yesterday. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy what they're up to. So Jamal, uh, we're talking with Jamal Abdi, the vice president for policy at NIAC, the National Iranian American Council. Um, what, what can Americans who are concerned about the direction this country is going in, particularly with regard to this particular issue, our, our, our relationship to, to, the, to the Muslim world and, and uh, you know, the, just the general racism that's being stirred and, and, uh, and religious bigotry that's being stirred by Donald Trump, what can we do? Well, so I, I, you know, I give my take as somebody, you know, leading an advocacy organization. Um, you know, the first, the first 18 months of the Trump administration, I think you referred to it in the last segment, this is a president who seems to be immune from the normal rules of politics. Um, you, you know, he doesn't make gaffes. Gaffes are political opportunities. And, um, and, and so the way that you actually limit his power or confront him should be through Congress, should be through, you know, the most representative branch of the government and actually making lawmakers um, feel vulnerable that, okay, if they don't stand up to this guy, if they don't stand up against this Muslim ban or they don't stand up against, uh, you know, trying to take on another Supreme Court ruling by passing legislation, that they're going to lose their seat. Um, and I think it's maybe it's, it's not a gratifying message for those first 18 months when you don't see Congress responding. I think Republicans in Congress have largely judged that they're going to stick by this guy. And so now we're moving into the phase where there have to be the consequences. And this is actually a little bit more exciting because now we're getting closer to the, to the midterm election. And now is the time to get involved in those elections, going out and volunteering and uh, supporting groups that are, you know, running ads. And, and, and if you still have a primary in your state, you know, getting involved in the primary because we have to make sure that lawmakers who are standing with Trump and not actually representing their constituency, that they feel the heat and they get you know, kicked out of office. And we also need to make sure they get kicked out of office for the right reasons. We need, you know, the issues that uh, that we care about need to be a priority. And that is decided by how much of how much of us actually show up. So Amen. now is the time for political organizing. Jamal, so well said. Jamal Abdi, uh, NIAC.org. Thank you, Jamal. You're listening Thank to you, Tom, Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Back with more of the news of the day and your calls right after this. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. John in, in Boston. Hey, John, what's up? Thanks for watching Free Speech TV. Hey, Tom, how are you? Um, I haven't spoken to you in a little while. Um, I've, I've just, as everyone, been watching the abominations of this president and this administration build up. And quite frankly, and I know you've said it and your audience knows, but we're repeating a lot of the same, or we're allowing the same mistakes to be repeated. Obviously not you, but I mean, look at what's happening in the media right now. Uh, I mean, and you're right, the economic issues should be focused on. But let's face it, Tom, we have an American citizenry that you could tell them they're going to lose Social Security, and they're like, why? We need visuals. And, and, yeah. and, 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 and let's be honest, that's the one thing that has hurt this president and this presidency is what is happening right now at the border. We have a president and it has to be repeated every day. I think of, remember Nightline, Tom, the, the people don't realize the inception of Nightline was the Iranian hostages. And every day, Ted Koppel, and then he was on for years, told about the hard, this is day so-and-so of the crisis. We have, uh, what, we have a president who kidnapped against national and international law, against the Constitution, kidnap children for his own devices to get a damn wall, pardon me for swearing, and, and we are now, and the media is focusing, well, Sarah Sanders was hurt in a restaurant. Let me put you this way. If your children were kidnapped, would you want to sit down and have dinner or allow to have dinner at a restaurant or something, uh, uh, someone involved with the kidnapping? Of course not. Right. We are allowing ourselves to be distracted. We need to focus every day, whether, again, it's a nightline heading to say, okay, and we can't believe the numbers. Uh, Lawrence O'Donnell said 
It was 2000 days before he stopped the sign. And he's coming across it. Okay, I kidnapped the children, but I, I, they're not being kidnapped anymore. Like, it's okay. It's not okay. Right. We cannot allow this. To, and, and this is, again, I know I'm sorry, but this is the one thing that may get through to, quite frankly, many brain-dead Americans. Again, this is not a presidential election coming up, although Malcolm Nance said, this is our democracy on the line, and he's absolutely right. Okay, I mean, we still have gerrymandering, as you said, we still have voter suppression. We need the numbers to be huge. And if we are allowed to be distracted, look at the shiny keys over here, which Trump is the master manipulator at doing, then guess what? We are going to have the same results. And, and, and you know, it's no the fault on you. God love you. I mean, you, you, you speak the truth every day, the facts. And to myself and your audience, thank you. However, most Americans are oblivious. And then, you know, last thing, and I know I'm going on, the last thing we need, we need a good model. And I can't help but think of Joe McCarthy. Have you no decency, sir? What the Democrats should do is use that as, as their slogan with all the abominations, particularly kids being ripped from their parents, maybe never will see them again. We have to tw- turn it around, cross out the first two words and say, instead of have you no decency, you have no decency. Maybe that make America decent again should be the slogan of the Democrats. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying, John. I, get, I absolutely get what you're saying, and I, and I agree with everything that you said. Thank you so much for the call. And yeah, it's, it is a time for outrage, and it is a time for, for us to point out the essential evil of what's being done by the Trump administration. It's just plain old flat out wrong. Back with more calls right after this. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and uh, Jason in Naples, Florida. Hey, Jason, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. Um, you asked a few minutes ago what basically what white America is afraid of um, for the darker America in the future. I think maybe what it might be is look how we treat minorities now. So they're afraid of and payback. Well, um, yeah, maybe maybe that's their fear. You know, we're going to be the minority exactly how they're going to get payback against us. I'm not saying that, yeah. but perhaps that's what some people are thinking. So Pat Buchanan's great fear is that uh, people that he has treated badly uh, will treat him badly. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, I, think you're, I think you're right, Jason. I think you're absolutely right. They're projecting, and it's just projection, but excellent point. Thank you for calling and making it. David in Woodland Hills, California. Hey, David, what's up? Thank you, Guru. Um, the Republican Party and indeed many political parties all over the world are no longer political parties. They are political cartels. Okay, define a cartel in this context. I'm speaking specifically of the Mexican drug cartels, which they engage in um, violence. Those are, those are extra-legal or non-legal organizations. The Republican Party is a legal organization. But it is acting cartel-like. And you could say, that, and I'm talking all over the world, you could say that Putin is Pablo Escobar with his cartel. Trump is a new cartel leader. Uh, he's been a, a business cartel illegal leader. He hasn't resorted to violence and murder, as far as I know. But the Republican Party, with, with their disdain for election laws for, what, 30, 40 years now, mm. with stealing the leisure time, they are acting like a cartel. And the, and the Hillary Clinton wing of the Democratic Party is more cartel-like. The progressive Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party is the way political parties should be all over the world. They are not cartel-like. Yeah, not I, in- I don't think you can quite make that that neat and clean a, a comparison and and frankly you know like i said many times david i don't want to descend into the hillary bernie wars again it's like we've been there we've done that raymond in las vegas raymond what's on your mind today oh the browning of america it's, it's kind of funny to see that they're worried so much about the browning of america when you stop and think about after world war ii white americans brought back japanese wives after korea they brought back korean wives they uh had their way with the Native Americans. They had their way with their slaves. You go to San Francisco, you go to uh, San Diego, San Francisco, Every if you walk down Market Street, you walk down any major street, every third white guy has an Asian, Asian wife. You go to San Diego, 
half the people I know are married to Hispanic women, and they and they they wonder why, because there's more women born in this country than men, that white women are opting to go with other uh, with other races. Their options have been thin because white guys are picking picking foreign women. They actually go to the Philippines, they go to Europe, they go to Eastern Europe, they go to Russia to get wives, and they wonder why America's browning. I yeah. think they have to look in their own back pocket. Interesting perspective. Uh, very interesting perspective. Thanks a lot, Raymond, for that. Uh, Ron in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Ron, what's up? Uh, hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I, I'd like to make the point that um, we should be encouraged the more we hear these uh, invitations to uh, be polite, you know, like, uh, f for example, the, the irrationality of saying that I should tolerate your intolerance. Right. It's basically a pure numbers game. If you add 10% uh, more enthusiasm to 40% of the voters and you add 10% more enthusiasm to 60%, they lose. The Republican strategists are scared to death of the um, activation, I guess you would say, of uh, non-Trump voters. Yeah, the, the, the American electorate. And we saw this, you know, I would argue that we saw this in 92, uh, or excuse me, in uh, 76, was it, that Jimmy Carter was, yeah, in 76 when Jimmy Carter was elected, uh, in response to the corruption of the Nixon years. You know, and, and, and Jerry Ford's lukewarm acceptance of that and his pardoning Richard Nixon. I think that, you know, and that's the one thing that encourages me. But excellent point, Ron. Very well said. John in Vancouver, Washington. Hey, John, right across the river from me. What's hey. up? Hey, hey uh, as far as browning of America, I don't know if you've ever cooked anything, but any soup or sauce or stew I've ever made is always better the second day when the spices get blended in. And um, It's a great metaphor. Our government is a cartel. They're the enforcers for the international corporate cartels. I think that's a better way of explaining what our politicians are doing right now. They, they forgot who their bosses are. We're their boss, and we hire representatives, and we have the right to call them on the carpet whenever we want to. And that's not going low. That's staying high. Sticking to moral standards is not going low, and calling, calling out immorality is not going low. Yeah, amen. Very level is maintaining our level. Amen. Very well said, John. Thanks a lot for the call. And thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Rudy in Olympia, Washington. Hey, Rudy, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Hey, as uh, as an African American, um, yeah, I want to mention a little bit about uh, about the race issue and the whole Trump's uh, unfounded uh, paranoia that they're pushing among you know the masses and the majority. You know. We we live in a we live in a country that's primarily motivated by economics and racism is an issue that that uh, corporations have created to keep people divided and separated. Yeah, at its and, core, it's often economic. I get it. Yeah. And then you know, if you find if you look at the most successful corporations or administrations, always had a uh, number of people who had different ideas and different points of view. You know, no one man has the ability to run this country. And when you have that kind of uh, that kind of behavior, then the outfall is chaos and disruption. And and uh, I just, you know, I want to to to, to mention that, you know, yeah. because, you know, the whole thing is, you know, you had your you know, people saying things that's not right, that's not true, and they're just pumping fear into people who don't think beyond what they hear. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Well said. Thanks a lot for that. For that, uh, Rudy. Uh, oops, excuse me. That was Rudy, wasn't it? Uh, thanks a lot, Rudy. James in Spokane, Washington. Hey, James, what's up? Yeah, Tom, we're running out of time here. We are. Um, it seems Got to me that nation states, nation states are destroying the biosphere. So how is patriotism for nation or state? I mean, not for humanity, the planet, or the universe. How is patriotism not jingoism? Patriotism can be turned into jingoism. I think that, and, and that's certainly what Trump has done with it. Uh, you know, Samuel Johnson famously said 300 years ago that uh, patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel, um, uh, or, or perhaps a false patriotism. But I think that, you know, the love of your country, this is where I grew up, this is the culture I know, uh, this is the, these are the ideals and values that I know. This is the way of isn't life that, that I know. That I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that fundamentally. 
But isn't you know, all of these impulses can be turned into something much, much more dangerous. Isn't that competition nation-state rather than for the globe, for the planet, for the universe? Isn't that what's destroying the biosphere? Well, yes and no. And and James, the logical extension of your of you know where you're going with that rhetoric is to say you know it should be one world, right? And the last major country and politician in the in the world who said we should have one world under a single government and it will create a thousand years of peace. The last guy to argue that a thousand years of peace would come about if the entire world united under him and behind him was Adolf Hitler. So that's not a pure indictment. That's not purely an indictment. No, it's not an it's not purely an indictment, but whenever somebody says, you know, it's all one world, we all need to get together in one way, you know, I'm I'm a fan of diversity. Biological systems have diversity. We need political systems that are diverse. And 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 like I said, if you if you have a single leader in a single world, it, it could be really really dangerous. James, but your point is well made, James. Your, your point that you know collectively we've got to get together and work this out. I'm with you on that. Thanks. A lot. And in fact, I think that's what the Paris Agreement was all about. Boy, we've covered a lot of territory today. We will again tomorrow. Thanks so much for being with us today. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.